I'm sure for the disciples walking on that road after the crucifixion of Jesus, they had with them all of the thoughts that would normally accompany dashed hopes and expectations. You probably know it in your own life, maybe that moment when everything in life all of a sudden goes dark and there's no more colors, no more animation, it's just bleak. Hopes dashed, disappointment dead. You may be on that road now, you may be just coming off of that road. If you've never been on that road, it will be coming. Things like you knew things weren't necessarily great in your marriage, but you definitely were not prepared for him right in the middle of dinner to announce that he had plans to file for divorce. And just like that, in a moment, everything goes dark and all the hopes and expectations are dashed. Life plans and dreams are dead. Or maybe for you it was you had plans that this would be the company in which you would retire from and pictured yourself living that life of retirement and then all of a sudden there was a, a, a memo to attend the mandatory employee meeting and once there they announced that the owners had sold the company and the plant would be closing and then in that moment everything goes dark and hopes and expectations are dashed, life plans and dreams are dead, at least for now. Or maybe... You tried for years to conceive, and finally, after years, good news, and so you told all of your friends, you told all of your families, you posted it on Facebook, which is what you're supposed to do nowadays, and then a few weeks later, cramping, and then bleeding, and then just like that, everything goes dark. All of the hopes and expectations are dashed. Your Emmaus Road could be a host of things, from maybe failure at sobriety, again, or even things like you'd hope to lose that weight before the reunion, and it's this weekend and now not very likely. Maybe it's just being passed over for the promotion at work, or a betrayal from a friend, or the diagnosis of a chronic health issue. It could be simply your road in life at the moment as you take an assessment of your life, in general, you just say, I hate my life. I had big dreams and big hopes and expectations, and as I analyze it from this moment now, it's dark. My life plans and dreams are dead. And you would be able to say, it feels literally like I am dying for change. Now, there's good news coming. Even as we begin this journey on this road, you need to know there is good news that's coming, but at least for now, as we begin our journey... And we're faced with the reality of the death of Jesus and now what in dashed hopes and dashed experiences and we feel them in our own life and you all have your own stories. I'm certain, I'm confident of it. And in it I know we don't like death. And we try to avoid it at all costs. We have immediate defensive mechanisms that spring to our heart and mind to protect us from the reality of death. Things like psychologists tell us, just denial. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. And for those dead places in our life, we'll just not talk about it. We won't acknowledge it. Let's just keep going on and doing what we did week after week after week. And let's just pretend we're not in this situation that we're really in. And at times, anger could be a defensive mechanism. Maybe bargaining with God or with others to not really come to grips or with terms or to reality what's really going on. And even as a culture, we know we don't like the idea of death. So we spend billions of dollars on cosmetics and even surgeries to mask in our own bodies the reality that we're dying. We don't like to talk about death. We avoid the experience of it. We don't want to be reminded of our mortality. We don't even want the preacher to get up and talk about death. 
And that's why sometimes we stay in dead places far longer than we ought. When the relationship was really over years ago. And that's why we have at moments a few shots of vodka to numb the deadness of our life. And we even have, do you know nowadays they have what's called cryogenics? Which means just before you die, we can freeze you, hoping to someday discover the cure for what ails you, and then we'll thaw you out. Could you imagine that process? And see if we can keep you living forever. There's good news coming. But at least for now on our journey, I wish that I could offer you some more encouragement from the Bible that when it comes to the deadness in your life, you're, it's really better than you think. I would like to be able to stand up and say, oh, it really, it isn't that bad. I would love to be able to say, I'm okay, you're okay. <coughs> I know in a self-esteem focused world, the, the idea of, no, you are far worse than you've ever imagined is not the most popular message. Self-esteem in this situation will only breed self-deception and frustration. I'd love to point to a verse in the Bible that takes all of that away. <clears throat> but in it, Jesus isn't even very helpful to us. He offers us no self-help posted on the refrigerator equipped to ease our mind. He'll say things like, If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, there's good news coming. But Psalm 14, verse 2 and 3, at least for now, tells us the Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They're all alike, perverse. There's no one who does good, not one. There's good news that's coming. But Jeremiah will remind us in the midst of it in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It led Dallas Willard to write about the sin-ruined soul. The mind becomes a fearful wilderness and a wild mixture of thoughts and feelings manifested in willful stupidities, blatant inconsistencies, and confusions. So this is the language of my life. Often to the point of obsession, madness, and possession. The Bible makes it very clear. You are dead in your sins. And it is a death that you have no power to overcome. But there's this strange reality in Christianity that has as its first step the only way to move past this, the only way to progress in our journey, the only way to find true life change, the only way to find true life transformation is in this moment when we recognize and embrace and acknowledge the reality of our death. In fact, it calls for a radical confession of complete despair and brokenness. It is us going before God and saying, I am not okay. And the life that I've built for myself seems to be crumbling at its foundations. There's something in this that there'll be good news. There'll be something as we go along on our journey that we must pass through this moment post-crucifixion where we come to grips with, at least in this moment, as we have a desperation from the Emmaus Road, that rather than running from death, we embrace it and say, I've got nothing. And this is, this is what happened on Friday, on the cross. This this explains that even in our ruined condition, a human being is regarded by God as something infinitely worth saving. Sin does not make a person worthless, only lost. And true life change, true resurrection power is only possible when we come to the cross and say, I've got nothing. That we don't want to witness the cross 
and then have in her mind something like, oh, but I'm not that bad. Or I'm a relatively good person, especially when I compare myself to my coworkers, or at least I'm trying really hard, or any other phrase that would signal denial or justification. It ultimately becomes a denial of what God did on the cross that it really was necessary because of us, and then it lifts it up to vanity. And I know it's scary, but I would encourage you this morning, even now as we're on this journey, and there's good news coming, but at least for now, Embrace the reality that when we stand before God, we got nothing. You are far worse than you had ever imagined. And I am far worse than I ever imagined. That I am not good enough, righteous enough, obedient enough. I have done nothing that allows me to stand before God and offer Him anything. It is at this moment I recognize it's, it is a mercy of God. It is a grace of God for me to be able to see myself rightfully, that He grants me a revelation of this is my true condition, because when that then encounters the depth of God's, that He is crazy in love with you, that He knows you, He knows all about you, He knows you have nothing to offer Him in your hands, but He's so crazy in love with you that what He did on that cross last Friday makes it... It's because of his great passion for you, his love for you, that allows you with great confidence and with great humility and with safety to be able to say to him, I'm not okay, and I've got nothing. He responds, I know. That's why I've done what I did. That's the point of Friday. That's the point of the cross. And so even as we begin, and there's good news coming, but even as we continue on our journey, it is right for us even now at this moment to embrace We've got nothing. In fact, here we take communion every week, and it is for us a reminder of the death of Jesus Christ, and in it a call to us to die to ourselves, a radical dying that allows us to see through that cross that He is so good that when we were dead in our sins, He did that. And so this morning, I would encourage you, let's pause for a moment in our journey, and in a moment, trays are going to come by you, Take a little bit of the bread and then take a little bit of the cup of juice and it's to remind us of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus and in it that we have nothing and it's all Him. But there's safety in that. So wherever it is that you're at this morning, whatever it is that for you it became all dark and bleak and despair and disappointment, it's time to hand that to God and then to receive from Him His grace and mercy. Let's do that as we pray together. Father, we come to you with nothing in our hands. We have nothing to offer you. And yet, in spite of that, you have loved us so much and with such a passion that you, by your own initiative and by your own work and by your own hand, would bring about for us the possibilities that we could continue on this journey different than where we find ourselves at this moment. But at least for now, we ask for a greater revelation of who we are, our our true condition, and in that, not that it would overwhelm us, not that it would lead us to despair, but only then, Lord, that it would, it would emphasize and make prominent in our hearts and minds how good and gracious you are. Would you do that now through this bread and through this cup? Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Oh, I'll journey doesn't stop here. It, it continues. In fact, Jesus even kind of hinted at it that we might have missed to begin with. But in John chapter 12, verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Or Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36, about the resurrection, how foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it does what? Dies. Resurrection life and resurrection power has one prerequisite, death. That each of us are literally dying for change in our life, and it could be on a large scale by way of relationships or the condition of your marriage or your job or your purpose in life. It could be on a smaller scale, just weight loss and health and trying to quit smoking or paying off a credit card. But any move towards that change will not take place unless we move through that place where we die to ourselves and acknowledge the truth of who we are. Because it's in that moment when we say, that we can begin to hear another word, another voice speaking. And that's what so our story continues. It isn't just about Jesus dying on the cross. Our story doesn't end there. And yes, the cross deals with our sin. It deals with our brokenness. It offers us atonement. The cross allows us to say to God, we are complete and total wrecks. But our story doesn't end with the cross. And so there you have Jesus' dead body is lying in a tomb. And it is dead. I mean, dead, dead. No pulse no heartbeat, and there's nothing in himself capable of bringing him back to life again. Jesus of Nazareth is totally and entirely passive. This is as passive as passive gets, dead. And it's at this moment, in this state, that there is a word by the Spirit of God that says it is time to wake up, that it is now time to arise that it is now time to come back to life. And it is in this moment which things that are dead, dead, all of a sudden get to come back to life. And it isn't just a life that picks up from where it left off. It is a new kind of a life brought back from death in a way that's changed, a new resurrection kind of life. Jesus at the resurrection just doesn't pick up where he left off. It's still bodily, but it's transformed in a way that is a qualitatively different kind of a life. And this is the power of our story. Your dead marriage doesn't just need life breathed into it. It needs the Spirit of God to say, it is time to wake up. That breathes into it not just any kind of life, but resurrection life. 
You don't need in that relationship with your children that's been strained now for years and you haven't talked. It doesn't need to pick up where you left off. It needs an entirely qualitatively new kind of a life, a resurrection power kind of a life, to hear the Spirit of God speak right in the middle of that situation. It is time to wake up that your messed up finances and your death over debt doesn't need to pick up where it left off. It needs a qualitatively different kind of a life, a resurrection life, that is only possible when in our passively dead state we allow God to say, wake up. And it is in that moment that life change is possible. Because life change at this moment means that it's no longer up to you. <laughs> it comes from a guy who's totally screwed up. This is such good news. Because if it's totally up to me, I'm in serious trouble. And my guess is if it's totally up to you, you're in trouble as well. The good news that we have in our story, what we've gathered this morning to celebrate is it isn't about us, it's about him who has power to speak into all the dead places. It is time to come alive. What that means is your discipline won't give you this new kind of a life. The hard work you're doing won't give you this new kind of a life. Your religious exercises, even on Easter, will not give you this new life. Reading one more book or listening to one more podcast, or if I could attend just one more conference or attend one more class, it will not give you this kind of a life. Your resolution won't give it to you. It will only be your death, your total willingness to release all effort and remain passively dead and allow the voice of God to say, it is now time to arise. And if you're a parent, you understand this dynamic with your children. Remember when they were growing up and they still were small enough where they really weren't independent, but they wanted to be independent so bad, and so they didn't want your help? Do you know that experience as a parent where you want to help your child and they keep waving you off and you're thinking, kid, just listen to me. It's real easy, and if you'll listen to me, you can do it. But they don't want you to say a word to them. They keep waving, waving you off so they can be fiercely independent. And you know because you're older and you're the parent, if you just turn it around and flip it over, it will work. No, Dad, no, Dad. So you sit back and you watch your kids struggle and they can't get it to work and it doesn't fit in the right way. And, and finally, in complete despair and desperation, they say, Dad, would you help me? Ah, now, in the passivity that is, it allows a new voice to come in, a new work to come in. It's that same way with God when we've given up and abandoned all efforts to improve ourselves. It is when we, at that moment, get to hear the voice of God say, It is now time to arise. That when you're tired of struggling, when you're tired of trying, when you're tired of coming back to the same place again and again. Hello? Come on, anybody? That same place. Didn't we promise we didn't want to get back here? And here we are. It will be in this moment that allows the voice of God to speak. It is time to wake up. And I know it's scary because death does feel unknown. But the resurrection of Jesus is God's promise that in death we will find ultimately resurrection power. That what we've come to celebrate this morning is that death does not have the final say. We have a God who would not allow death to have the final word. In fact, we belong to a God who bamboozled death by allowing it to think that it had won and in the end used it against itself. God redeemed death. He used it as a thing that would catapult, catapult us toward the possibility of new life and resurrection. That's why Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, oh, listen to this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Did you hear that? 
Did you know that the exact same Holy Spirit that spoke 2,000 years ago to the dead, dead body of Jesus is the exact same Holy Spirit that is dwelling inside of you? And because of that, there is always the possibility for resurrection life and resurrection power to break out at any moment. If you will walk through death and in that passivity say to God, I got nothing and allow him to, he can say to all the dead places in your life, it is now time to wake up. That's why Paul will end his great sermon on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. He'll say, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's why we've gathered this morning to celebrate. To celebrate that God has the final word. Not, and we want to celebrate well. In fact, let's get the band up here because there's going to be some, we've got some celebration that has to go on down here. Let's get the band up here. Because on this journey and on this road, we might have begun in disappointment and discouragement, but the journey continues and it will not end there. It will end with a powerful revelation that Jesus isn't dead and he's alive. He's risen from the dead and that changes everything What begins as intense pain of the heart, by the end of our journey, becomes Luke 24, 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What began for us as discouragement becomes a message of life. Verse 34, it's true. The Lord has risen. God has the final word. And in Jesus, the final word is resurrection power. Do you know what that means for you? That divorce that you went through does not have the final word. That sin in your life, it does not have the final word. That failed business venture will not have the final say. That health issue that you've been struggling with will not have the final say. And listen to me, because I know it ha- we walk through this. Even those that we love that have gone on uh, in death, even as you hold that death certificate in hand, you should say right to it, you will not have the final say. And his word is one of life. And not just any life, but resurrection life. And that is what we've come this morning to celebrate. We celebrate today that it is resurrection day. Resurrection day for Jesus, but also resurrection day for us. And so this morning, let us lift our voice up to God to give him praise and to say to him, speak to our hearts, speak to all the dead places in our life, that it's time to wake up. Can we do that? Let's stand together and let's praise our God.